Hello, and welcome to the Faith and More podcast. I firmly believe God works through people every day to help us. These people are selfless and so very humble. The majority of us don't even know they exist or existed. My name is Angel, and each podcast I will showcase one of these amazing people. Their stories will uplift, inspire, encourage, support, heal, and give you hope. Hello and welcome to the show. How is everyone doing? I hope you're all doing well and that you're blessed. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for finding us and for tuning in. And if you're returning, thank you so much for returning. This week, I'm so happy to share with you a little bit of the life story of a truly amazing and inspirational, encouraging person by the name of Sister Claire Crockett. Now, I warn you ahead of time, I may slip up <laughs> during this show and refer to her as St. Clair, uh, and, and that's a Freudian slip for me because in my mind and heart, she is well above a saint already, even though she hasn't been recognized. Uh, but we'll get into the, the saintism and the uh, canonization of her coming up later on in the show. So Sister Claire can be found by several different names. Sister Claire, Sister Claire Crockett, uh, Claire Crockett, or her official name was Sister Claire Maria of the Trinity and the Heart of Mary. But for the show, we'll refer to her as Sister Claire, or as I will again, sometimes Freudian slip and say St. Claire. <laughs> Sister Claire was born on November 14th, 1982 in the county Derry in Northern Ireland. Uh, she entered the Servant Sisters of the Home of Mother of the Mother on August 11, 2001, at the age of 18. She took her first vows on February 18, 2006, taking the religious name Sister Claire Maria of the Trinity and the Heart of Mary. She took her perpetual vows on September 8, 2010. From the moment of her first vows, she served in the Servant Sisters community in Belmonte, Cuenca, Spain, Jacksonville, Florida, uh, Valencia, Spain, Guayaquil, Ecuador, and Playa Preta, and Manabi, uh, Ecuador. Excuse me if I slaughter these names. I'm not really good at pronunciations in, in Spanish. And she passed away during an earthquake in Playa Preta on April 16, 2016. So that's just a generalization. So don't, don't stop listening yet. There's so, 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 so much more to uh, Sister Claire that we'll be getting into. And as I go through her bio, which I took from the uh, SisterClaireCrockett.com uh, website, again, all links to everything I'm talking about in the show will be in the show notes. Um, but there's some fill-in-the-gap spaces here. So as I'm going through and, and reading the bio from the website, I'll be filling that in for you guys as we go. So one of the things, first things first, is we have to look at the demographic and the time period uh, Sister Claire was born and where she lived. Uh, she was born in November 4th, on November 14th in 1982 in Derry, Northern Ireland. If anyone knows anything about Ireland and Irish history, uh, the 70s, 80s, all that were really, really difficult times in Northern Ireland. They still are to a lot of degrees. Um, it was a very bad town that, or, you know, as they call them, counties. It was a very bad area that Sister Claire lived in. Um, there was constantly shootings. 
there were bombings, and it was all um, pinned on religion, but it wasn't due to religion. It was all very political, where politics and religion kind of melted together, which never should have happened. Um, so, of course, you have the Protestants and the Catholics that are constantly going back and forth with each other and actually killing each other, trying to you know, eradicate uh, each other out. So poor Sister Claire grew up in this kind of environment. It was very rough. Um, she was Catholic, but her parents weren't able to, and she weren't able to practice the religion because you could be killed for your religious beliefs. Like, say you were going to go on, go to church or go to mass on Sunday morning. You know, of course, everybody knew where you were going and you could be killed. As a matter of fact, Sister Claire, uh, as a young teen, actually witnessed someone being blown up. So that gives you the kind of idea or a little bit of a painted picture as much as we can from our perspective uh, as to what how her upbringing and her environment was. So as you could imagine, growing up in a, a rough area and being exposed to those things, it tends to make a rough person, especially if you're not able to um, access your faith or practice your faith. Um, it doesn't give you anything to fall back on. Um, it doesn't give you anything to help you, you know, mentally, physically, especially spiritually. And that's what Sister Claire grew up with. And so she liked to drink. She liked to smoke. Um, she smoked cigarettes. She smoked recreational uh, drugs like marijuana, stuff like that. And she liked to party on the weekends. I mean, these were ways that the youth in Northern Ireland at that time um, kind of dealt with the situation. You see a lot of that as well in Soviet um, areas as well, how the teens tend to go to alcohol and drugs to kind of try in parties to try to get away or, um, you know, desensitize themselves to what's going on in their lives because it's, it's, it's a hellish life. It really is. But from the very get go, sister Claire had ambitions. She had plans. She wanted to be famous. She wanted to be an actress. And from a very early age, she told people straight up, this is what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a famous actress. Um, when she was a teen, she was uh, a host of a local uh, youth show in Ireland uh, where she became so popular in that show, doing that show, that she caught the attention of the U.S. brand Nickelodeon. Uh, those of you who are listening that live in the in the States know of Nickelodeon. It's It's a huge... Uh, company that makes, you know, and produces all kinds of children's television shows. So Sister Claire caught their eye, and that, again, was her goal, her ambition, her dream, uh, is to become a famous actress, and she did everything to pursue that. Uh, she, you know, was in plays in school. Again, she had her own, you know, she was a host of a children's television show. Um, she had big aspirations. So this makes you wonder, how do you go from being a popular actress, a famous actress, to becoming a sister. And before we go further on that, 
there's a difference between sisters and nuns. Sisters are able to go out and about and do things for people in the community. They're, that's what they do. That is the main thing that they're, they, you know, their existence is to help and do things for others, for service. Um, whereas nuns are more cloistered, they're more uh, in a convent and do things internally. So moving forward, you'll get the generalization. You know, if someone says uh, this person's a nun or this person's a sister, now you'll know what that means. Okay, so now we'll go on with the bio. It says, Claire Crockett was born in a Catholic family. She received the sacraments of Christian initiation, but during her teenage years, she no longer frequented the church, of course, because of the reasons why she couldn't frequent the church. She couldn't go to church because it was actually hazardous to your health. It was deadly. In Holy Week of the year 2000, at 17 years of age, she arrived at a home of the Mother Retreat. She seemed both joyful and superficial. She was looking for sun and parties in Spain, and she found herself with a group of people who were intensely celebrating the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so some background on that. Sister Claire's best friend um, was going to do this Holy Week in the year 2000 in Spain, where these missionaries and, and, and sisters will give you a free trip to Spain, and you go on retreat with them for one, two weeks, uh, what have you. So she asked Sister Claire, she just phoned her up and said, hey, what do you think about going to Spain? Would you like to go to Spain? It's a free trip. Well, you know, Sister Claire's thinking, and at that time, there was a lot of places for teenagers and young adults to party in Spain. So Sister Claire's all on board with this because she's like, hey, we're going to have a blast. We're going to party. But her friend never did clarify or correct this, which is a huge, huge blessing, as you'll see as we go. Talk about miracles and how the divine works. That, that definitely, you'll see how it comes into play, that if that one thing would not have happened, then Sister Claire would not have become what she became and what she is still today. Okay, so Sister Claire says yes, of course. She wants to go to Spain and have a party and a great time. So on the day that she's supposed to go, they are supposed to, her and her friend are supposed to meet up at this house. Well, she gets to this house, and there's these sisters there, which she thought they were nuns. So there's these sisters there, and these older people, like in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, and her and her friend are like the two youngest people and like the only teenagers or young adults in the group. So she's like, what in the world is going on? What? So she kind of pulled her friend aside and her friend was like, you know, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you. I'm sorry. You know, this and gave her um, the information on exactly what they were getting into and what they were going to go do. And so at that point, Sister Claire was like, you know, I, I don't want to do this. I'm going home. And the her friend was like, well, you can't. They spent $800 on a ticket and, and for a hotel and, and all this stuff for for just one person, for you. So we can't do that. So out of obligation, and only out of obligation, Sister Claire went. Okay, so Sister Claire, her friend, and these other people, she has no idea who they are or what they are, are in Spain. And for they were there for Holy Week and, and for an encounter. And bless her heart, Sister Claire did everything she could uh, as far as trying to party, she sunbathed, she smoked. Uh, at one point, she was with the 
head priest who later became uh, her head priest when she became a sister. And she would talk to him with a beer in one hand and a cigarette in the other hand. And she was always telling him that, you know what, she's going to be a famous person and, and going on and on and on. And it came up time for Good Friday. And they said to Claire, you know, Sister Claire, that, you know, Claire, today you have to go into the chapel. It's Good Friday. So she went into the chapel, but she stayed in the last pew. And during the Good Friday liturgy, the faithful adore and kiss the crucifix. They actually, someone holds a big crucifix uh, with Jesus on the cross, and everybody makes a procession and go up, and one by one you kiss the feet of Jesus. And Claire told her friend next to her, I'm not doing that. And her friend said, we've got to, you have to. So she got up, she went um, and went up and, and did that, but something happened to Claire when she kissed the feet of Jesus on the crucifix. Now, those of you who aren't Christian, or especially those of you who are not Catholic, uh, may not buy into this or get this, but please just bear with this and, and kind of try to take the, the points, the great points from Sister Claire's story. Uh, we all have epic moments in our lives. If you haven't yet, you will. Uh, when the divine works through you, where you get this bolt of lightning that goes through you, uh, or as in Eastern philosophy, they call it an aha moment. Um, and this was Claire's bolt of lightning, an aha moment. Uh, when she kissed the feet of Jesus, she went back to the pew and literally wept. She was in, she was so sad and crying so hard. And it really took everyone aback because here's this party girl who's fun loving and has appears to not have a care in the world, especially with regard to what they were doing there, just literally pouring her heart out in tears and weeping. So people approach her and, and especially her best friend and were like, what, what's going on? Are you okay? And she just kept saying, he died for me. He loves me. Why hasn't anyone ever told me this before? And when someone asked Claire about this later on, and she said this infinite times in her very short lifetime, um, what had actually happened is when she kissed the feet of Jesus, she realized that he was nailed to the cross because of her sins. Everything he suffered, every hole and, and abuse and blemish in his death was due to her sins. And she was so overwhelmed by it. And at the same point, she was so upset. She was like, you know, I'm Catholic. Why wasn't this ever shared with me? Why didn't anybody ever tell me this? So also, also at that point, anger comes in because now you're angry. You know, you know, here she is, you know, 17 years old. And she feel at that point, you know, when you're 17, you think you know everything and you firmly believe that you're an adult. Nobody can tell you different. But here she is thinking, you know what, I've lived my whole life, even though it was only 17 years, but that, as we'll see as the story goes, that was a bulk of her life. She, so she's thinking and saying, here I've lived 17 years of my life not knowing this. This is, this is ridiculous. So Claire came to realize and understand how much the Lord loved her and how much he had done for her. She understood that love is repaid by love alone. And that the love of the Lord 
asked of her meant a complete donation of herself. And it wasn't easy for Claire. When she went back home to Ireland, she participated as a secondary actress in a film. She got caught up again with the whirlwind of superficiality and sin that the world of cinema offered her. She expressed herself in these terms. I lived very badly. I lived in mortal sin. I drank a lot. I smoked a lot. I began to smoke drugs. I continued with my friends, with my boyfriend. I continued in the same way. I didn't have the strength to break from all these things because I didn't ask the Lord for help. So as we see that, and this is, this is, this goes for all of us, how the newness of something can wear off quickly. When you're in a sterile environment, it's easy to do things. Um, I always would say um, when I taught Eastern philosophy um, in Buddhism that when you are in a monastic environment or in a retreat environment, it's very easy, though your mind might tell you it's not, it's very easy to meditate. It's very easy to follow the rules. It's very easy to give yourself completely to surrender to that faith that you're practicing, whatever that faith may be. But when you're out in the real world, that is when it's difficult. And a lot of Tibetan monks say that over, and teachers and masters say that time and time and time again, that you know the hard part of your faith is living it in the real world. And I think we can all attest that. We've all had that experience of, how difficult it is. I mean, something as simple as someone cuts you off in, in traffic or when you're driving down the highway, you know, you, you get angry, you get upset. You know, well, they could have caused an accident. They could have done this. They could have done that. You know, uh, you know, all these feelings come up. But when you're in a sterile environment, that's not the case. Everything's very controlled to the most part. So it, it's very easy to to get into that niche, uh, to get into that flow. So this is something, you know, Claire realized when she came out is, you know, here she came back home uh, in Ireland and, and her you know manager, she had a, a manager at that point, contacted her and said, I've got this great part in a movie for you. It's, you know, you're, you're like the second person, um, the second star or co-star per se in the, in the role. And, you know, she talked about this quite a bit in her lifetime of how, you know, lavish that lifestyle is, you know, they pick you up in limousines, they, you know, you have assistants, people help you get dressed, people do your makeup and hair, um, and you're expected to party and associate and go to dinners and things of that nature. So this is nothing against Sister Claire. In fact, this makes her more human and more relatable to all of us. You got to remember, Sister Claire is in our lifetime. She's, she's in this, in this lifetime. Um, she was alive and, and did these things in times, well, if you're my age, you're a little older or maybe a little bit younger. If you were born in the 80s, maybe you can relate. Um, but the, again, these are, this is someone we can all relate to. Okay, so, you know, she's doing this movie. She's going to a party. Um, she's living that lifestyle again, um, even after what had happened to her, that, you know, aha lightning moment that you know that she experienced and the bio says however the lord insisted on pursuing her one night at a party she overdrank once again when she was vomiting in the bathroom she felt that jesus said to her 
Why do you continue to hurt me? God's presence was so strong that she could not ignore it. Not long after, she was in her room um, in an important London hotel, reading her taping schedule for the next day. She felt such a great emptiness, and she realized that her life had no meaning if she did not give it to Jesus Christ. Neither her family's pleas nor her manager's promises could stop her. On August 11, 2001, she gave her life to God as a candidate and the servant sisters of the home of the mother. So Sister Claire goes on, and there's a great documentary that I cannot recommend enough. It's called All or Nothing, and it's a, a documentary on Sister Claire. I will definitely have a link to it in the show notes. I so encourage everyone to please watch this documentary. There's so much amazing footage um, of Sister Claire, and it gives her story and her background. And everything I'm covering here is, is in, the, in the documentary, but it goes so, so beyond it. it. It's like you're there. It's, it's again, <laughs> here I go, truly amazing. But anyway, Sister Claire goes on to explain more of what had happened. She was in that bathroom stall, and she was getting sick, and she felt this overwhelming presence. Someone was watching her very closely. In fact, she said she kept looking up because she thought that maybe someone was in the stall next to her that was concerned about her being sick and was looking up over top of the stall down on her. It was that strong. That presence was that strong. And then in her heart, she heard that voice. Why do you continue to hurt me? And then it hit her again, that bolt of lightning, that aha moment hit her that she realized, you know, this was Jesus saying, why do you continue to hurt me? And this is something, and I mean, people may scoff at this, but if you have studied any of the, the great saints, this is a common thread that occurs with them. And other faiths as well, this is a common thread, is that that divine um, speaks to them. St. Faustina was one uh, to where, you know, the Lord would speak to her often, often, and, and, and correct her and guide her. And this is the same thing that happened to Sister Claire. He was you know, saying, why do you continue to hurt me? You realized, you know, when you kissed my feet on the cross that, you know, I did what I did for you and for everyone, for your sins. Your sins are what put me there. And, and this is what I've overcome. Why do you continue to nail me to the cross? Why do you continue to, you know, stick a spear in my side? Why do you continue to put the thorn of crowns on my head? Why do you continue to lash me? on the back with a whip or a cat of nine tails. So yeah, this time sister Claire got it. You know, she went, as it said, she went back to her hotel room. She was looking at her schedule for the next day for filming. And she was like, I'm done. I can't, I can't do this. I'm done. So, you know, she went home and she told her family and she contacted the, uh, sisters of the home of the mother, the servant sisters of the home of the mother and, you know, told them, look, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming, I'm going to do this. And her mother literally dropped to her knees and was hanging on to her as she was going out the door, begging her not to go. I mean, could you only imagine as her parents, and she's even said this too, how she flipped from one extreme to the other. Here she's a carefree kid that, you know, or young adult that just wants to party, have a good time and become a famous actress. And the next minute she's wanting to walk away from all of that and, and become a nun or I mean, excuse me, become a sister, join a convent, join, uh, you know, whatever. They just could not wrap their minds around it because they had, again, 
with where they were at and, and how they their town and community was, they're like, where in the world is all this coming from? They were scared. They were concerned. And we also have to keep in mind um, what type or what branch of the Catholic Church that Sister Claire signed up for. She signed up for being a candidate, which means you're working your way to become a sister uh, in the servant sisters of the home of the mother. Now, if you watch the documentary, you're going to see exactly what that means. It's not just you're sitting around drinking tea and, you know, talking to the other sisters and and learning uh, the catechism and doing, you know, faith-based practices. No, this is very difficult, very physical work. The the sisters of the home of the mother, the servant sisters, actually do brute force work as far as building hospitals, building schools, cleaning up areas, taking care of people, going to hospice centers. I mean, it is very extensive and very, very, very physical. So the bio goes on to say, Claire had to change many things in her life with the bloody struggles from Northern Ireland independence from the United Kingdom, the difficult atmosphere in Derry, her hometown, had wounded her heart deeply. This was the first wound in need of healing. Yet Claire had surrendered to Jesus Christ's immense love for her, and there was nothing that would stop her. She herself explained, At first I was tempted to look back and say, I want it back. But I understood that I had found in an even greater love. Following her years as a candidate and novice, she took her first vows on February 18, 2006. During the month-long spiritual exercises that she made during her novitiate, she received a grace to comprehend what the Lord had said one day to St. Catherine of Siena. You are the one who is not, and I am he who is. It was something that transformed her interiorly and helped her as she matured humanly and spiritually to put the many gifts with which she was endowed at the Lord's service for evangelization. When she was still very young and with many things to learn, she arrived at her first assignment in the community of Belmonte in Cienca, Spain. There the servant sisters of the home of the mother direct a residence for girls that come from families in difficulty. It is hard work because the girls arrive from difficult family situations that mark them painfully. Sister Claire began to show her special gift to reach the souls of children and young people, teaching them the truth and the love of the Lord, guiding them in the personal process to heal. And the head priest of that organization uh, said that Claire's zeal for souls, especially those of youth, was immense. Now, some things to keep in mind. When Claire went to Spain, she only spoke two words in Spanish. She learned Spanish, and they said she learned it quick. And so here she is with these, you know, troubled teens and troubled youth. that They put her in charge of or have her assist with. But so you see, as we can remember with Sister Claire, she came from that background. She had that experience. So she turned it around. So she was able to relate to these teens and young adults in these years and help them on so many levels interiorly and outwardly it is again truly amazing when you watch a documentary the documentary is full literally full of people young adults 
who are now adults or young children who are now teens and young adults um, who share their experience of St. Clair and what she personally did to them and for them and how she has impacted their lives, even still today, how she has such a great and immense effect on them. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing. It really is. So here you can kind of see where I'm getting the whole saint thing from, you know, and again, my heart and mind. Yeah, she's she's already a saint. You, you canonize her or not in my heart and mind. And I'm sure most of you will come to agree with, especially after you watch the documentary. It's, you know, hands down. She's she's definitely a saint. In fact, I'll, I'll go one higher than that. She's an angel. She's, you know, whatever you want to label the vine. She, she, she definitely definitely is that. So St. Clair spent only a few months in that house because she was sent to a new community that was about to be opened in the United States in Jacksonville, Florida, in October 2006. The sisters began pastoral work at Assumption Parish and School. The parish priest, Father Fred Park, explains the children picked up on the enthusiasm that she had for the Eucharist. She overflowed with enthusiasm for the Lord. Once you had been with her, you knew you had to pick up that same enthusiasm. It was so catchy. So Sister Claire, just so genuine and so forthright and so peppy and happy. And she would sing and she loved to play guitar and she would not let you be sad or let you be down. She would be right there to help you up, to find out what is causing your suffering and do everything possible to, as they say, turn that frown upside down and have you singing and, and laughing and dancing the, the next moment and forget even exactly what was it is that was bothering you to begin with. She was just that type of person. And as I said, her energy was, was catchy, it was contagious. Um, and just so, so, so amazing. And again, we're so blessed with so much film footage uh, of Sister Claire. Again, in the documentary, you'll see this when she was in Jacksonville. Um, if you go on YouTube, there's actually interviews of her uh, where she was on different uh, religious radio shows where they were interviewing her because people were just like, who is this person? Where did she come from? She was so fascinating and again, so contagious, her energy. You just wanted to be around her because she just made you feel loved. She made you feel great. On September 8th of 2010, Sister Claire came back to Spain from the United States to make her perpetual vows. Afterwards, she was sent to the community of the Servant Sisters of the Home of the Mother, were opening another place in Valencia, Spain. Her superior sister Isabel Cuesta remembers Sister Claire had just taken her perpetual vows. She had given herself completely to the Lord, and she did so with all her strength. There was an example that Sister Claire used a lot, which helped her to place her life in God's hands. It was the example of a, bank, a blank check. Each day, she would give a blank check to the Lord so that he could ask of her whatever he wanted. And Sister Claire would always say that, too. She would get up every morning and do her morning prayers and practices. And she would say, you know, Lord, I'm giving you a blank check. You do what you want. I'll do whatever you want. You just tell me to do it and I'll do it. No questions asked, no holds barred. And, and that's how she lived every day of her life. In Valencia, Sister Claire's main apostolate was attending the spiritual needs of the terminally ill patients in a hospital in Mislata. It was a difficult apostolate. 
and it required a constant self-forgetfulness to try and understand the heart of each patient patient to guide them in their last moments of their lives. So she, she worked in a hospice there. And this is in the documentary as well. It shows Sister Claire with a man who was dying from AIDS. He had lost all hope. He was in his last days or last weeks. Uh, he was so thin and emaciated. Um, he had just given up. He'd given up on everything. He'd given up on life. He'd given up on his faith. Um, and Sister Claire seen that. So she went to him and really helped him overcome his um, hate and anger and, and disappointment and frustration and depression. She turned him around so quickly um, that he looked forward to having the Eucharist uh, every day. In fact, he insisted on it. Every time Claire would come into the room, he was like, did you did you bring the Eucharist? Um, and it, for those of you who aren't Catholic and don't know what that is, that's when you know you go to communion on uh, at church where they they give you the, the the bread and the wine, the body and blood of Christ. And this man got to the point where he so wanted and needed that every day that every time he saw Claire, uh, he he would ask her, "Did you bring it?" You know, and she was like, "You know, because you know she couldn't give it to him, but a, a priest could." But she was like, so that's all you want from me is you just want you just want that. You know, that's how Claire was. She could get you feeling so much better. Now, believe that a, a terminally ill man with AIDS. On his last days, she was able to take and turn his life around and have him reconnect not only with his faith, but deeply with his faith and make amends before he passed. In 2011, Sister Claire returned to Belmonte. This time, her superior was Sister Anna Marie Lapina, who was very accurately sums up Sister Claire's spirituality in these words. She gave everything with great with a great sense of humor. Sister Anna Maria admires to this day Sister Claire's obedience and affirms, "I still do not know what things she liked to do and what things were hard for her." I could never tell, and when I would ask her to do something, her answer was always, of course. And on top of that, she was always observing to see what was needed and so to offer help. At the end of that year, I thought to myself, I want to learn how to obey like her. So here's Sister Claire's mother superior looking at Sister Claire saying, I don't get this girl. I don't understand how she's doing what she's doing in I want to be more like her. So this is someone that's been a sister much longer, that's actually a superior, that's actually the head of the sisters, looking at St. Uh, here I go. I said St. Sister Claire. <laughs> you know, in, in getting so much from her. Uh, it was just everywhere. And again, you, as she said, you didn't know what she liked to do and what she didn't like to do. She did everything with the same smile, with the same song and dance. She was always cutting up and getting everybody to have a good time and they would sing while they worked. And it was just, again, you've got to watch the documentary to really get what I'm, what I'm saying here because you'll not only see it, but you'll feel it as well. So as you can see, as a sister, she of the, of the 
servants, she was bounced around a lot. And that, and that's one of the things is you don't stay in one place for very long. They constantly move you from here to there to there to there, wherever you're needed, wherever help is needed, because that's what they're all about. So in October of 2012, Sister Claire received a new destination where she'd be able to put into practice her potential for evangelizing in Ecuador. She was sent to recently founded community of Guayaquil. Sorry if I'm not pronouncing that correctly. The servant's sisters had only been there for one year. The sisters there give classes in a few different schools in a very poor areas, and they work in a parish evangelizing the youth and the children. They also put on summer retreats and camps, uh, weekly formation meetings, etc. There was a lot of work to be done and excruciating Ecuadorian heat, in addition to the various tropical diseases she suffered, was exhausting. Sister Claire herself talked about the disposition she had when she reached Ecuador. She says, when I arrived in Ecuador, we were listening to the life of John Paul II, who is now St. John Paul II, and in one of his apostolic, apostolic visits, they asked him, Holy Father, are you tired? And he answered, the truth is, I don't know. It was my first week here in Ecuador, and I wanted to use that quote from St. John Paul II, not as my motto, but as my way of life here. Sometimes you get tired, of course. Work tires you out. But even though I'm tired, I hope to not feel sorry for myself and to keep giving. So this is this is crucial. This is key. She's teaching us. She's she's sharing, you know, what that mother superior was talking about. She's sharing with us the the little things that make her tick, you know, the little things that she uses to, you know, get that inner faith and strength and power from, you know, that she would work to extreme exhaustion but yet keep going because there was a need that, you know, these people needed this done. These people needed this service. These people needed this. And there was no time uh, to be tired, to, to stop. It had to be done. And so she would, you know, as I've said, dig deep, you know, she would dig deep and, and do this and go. And again, one thing we have to remember is sisters have to wear habits. They have a, a particular, uniform or outfit you could say that they have to wear and it's not at all conducive for tropical environments which is where uh, she was in ecuador so two years later sister claire was sent on a mission to another community in ecuador playa prieta there the servant sisters of the home of the mother run a school the holy family educational center where poor children can receive a highly quality high quality Catholic education thanks to the sponsorships of many benefactors. After the intense school day is over and extracurricular activities have been finished, the sisters find time to work in the parish and to attend to many poor families. Under the scorching sun or in torrential rains, the sisters visit the impoverished houses in the rural area to evaluate the basic needs of each family and thus be able to give them Jesus Christ and the hope of eternal life, together with food, baskets, medicine, and many other solutions to their material problems. So it wasn't enough that they spent 10, 12 hours a day teaching in schools, but after the school day was over with, they would go into the community and meet with these families face-to-face, person-to-person, 
asking them, you know, how are you with your faith? What do you need? What does your family need? Um, do you need food? Do you need clothing? And they would do everything they could to help these people. It's, it's such an, uh, and this cause continues on today. So, I mean, again, I'll have a link to the Servant Sisters um, in the show notes. If anybody can, is interested in helping them, by all means, please do so. And it doesn't matter what your faith is. Just don't say, I'm not giving to a Catholic place or not giving to a Buddhist place or I'm not giving to a Christian place or I'm not giving to a pagan place. If these people are genuinely helping somebody from the core of their heart, that is pure and that is good. And if you can have the, if you have the means and you want to help, please help. Several times throughout the year, the communities of the servant sisters and brothers of the home of the mother, along with a group of young people, would visit Puyo, located in the Ecuadorian Amazon, to evangelize. Sister Claire also took part, trekking for hours through the treacherous pass with mud up to her knees and crossing the tributaries of the Amazon with water up to her chest until she reached the humble villages of the Shuar, a greatly feared Javaronas of long ago. The Shuars live in small communities of no more than 30 people. They cultivate the land with ancestral methods and live in great poverty. Sometimes the sisters reached villages where the indigenous had never heard the gospel and still practiced polygamy. There was practically no knowledge of the faith, even in the villages which had occasionally received a visit from a priest and whose inhabitants were baptized. So again, it's, it's, they, they, she's now deep in the Amazon with other sisters and brothers, and they're trying to, to help the people in these very small tribes and communities. And, and as she said, you know, most of them had no idea of what faith was at all, and some that were baptized and a, and a priest like came through once in a while, they had no idea what they were baptized into. So, you know, they had a, um, a great responsibility at that point, if you're baptized, to let these people know what they were baptized into and do, to do everything they could to help them. Now, don't get me wrong. This wasn't where they went in with guns and, and pointed guns at people and saying, you will become Catholic and you will do this and you will do that. It's all voluntary. It's not they don't make anybody do everything. They don't say, you know, if you want this meal you know, you've got to do this. You know, it's not that way. So please um, put aside all the myths and, 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 and fake news about missionaries, you know, especially this type of missionary. They do not do that. And they're truly pure people. The bio continues by saying everyone always remembers Sister Claire with a guitar in her hand, her great companion to evangelization. They remember her singing and singing even to the point of losing her voice. And even then, she continued to sing in spite of the heat, the fatigue, and migraines. Her way of singing reflected the way she lived. Sister Kelly Maria Pezzo recalls, when she sang, she kept nothing back. And when she lived, she kept nothing back. Despite the hustle and bustle and joy that always surrounded her as the years passed by, Sister Claire's need for silence and moments to be alone with the Lord increased. It was evident to the sisters to what extent Sister Claire was giving of herself. To her, nothing seemed enough for Christ. This is shown in an email she wrote to the founder of the Servant Sisters, Father Raphael, on April 8, 2015. She wrote, 
Even though Good Friday is a sad day, I don't know how to explain the joy and enthusiastic desire I have to suffer for the Lord. Everything seems little to me. The lack of sleep, fasting, the heat, having to attend to people, everything that could be difficult fills me with joy because it brings me closer to the Lord. I spent a good amount of time in front of the cross asking for the grace to never, never forget everything that the Lord and Our Lady have suffered for me. And that's something that's briefly mentioned in the documentary is at one point in time in Ecuador, um, Sister Claire started to suffer from migraines, but no one ever knew about this um, until one day she had to go to a doctor and get an injection. I believe that was probably like a pain medicine or something. I was talking to my wife about this and she said people that suffer with really bad migraines will sometimes get a pain shot to, to relieve the migraine or a shot of some type to relieve the migraine. And one of the sisters accompanied her, Sister Claire, to, to get this vaccine or get this shot. So when Sister Claire came back, after just after getting the shot and having the severe migraine, people were asking her to play her guitar. And without hesitation, without uh, uh, her heart missing a beat, she picked up a guitar, sat down, and, and started playing and singing. There's actually video footage of this in the documentary of her playing and singing. And she didn't just, like, weak or meek sing. She was very loud. She gave it full lungs and her full heart and, and everything. It, it, it's just, I mean, I can't say enough about her. She's just amazing. Okay, so now... Now we're getting to a part in the bio. If you have caught the Sister Claire bug and you're like jumping for joy and like this this being, this woman is amazing, or as I say, truly amazing, um, now's the time to grab a box of tissues because you might need them. Okay, so a little bit of backstory to Sister Claire's passing. In Ecuador, in that Paya Pieta, place where she was they had a flood and after the it was two weeks after the flood it took them to clean up the mess their this bio is going to explain it but I'm just giving you some background the flood made such a mess and destroyed so much in the school that the sisters pretty much worked round the clock to not only get the school back into shape uh, and uh, this is in the documentary as well. You'll see them literally shoving and squeegeeing, you know, two, three foot high, you know, mud off of the ground and and everything it, and, and cleaning things. It's just it's crazy the, the amount of work that they did. But they also would go again to homes of the people in the town and help them clean up their homes as well. So, you know, there was an earthquake that happened two weeks after this flood, and, and this is what we're getting into now. This is the earthquake that put an end to the lives of Sister Claire and five other young aspirants began at 6.58 p.m. on Saturday, April 16, 2016. Due to strong floods that in the previous days had devastated Playa Prieta, the sisters had lived in a very difficult week. Just two weeks before the start of the new school year, they found themselves with a school that was in a state of total disaster. All the classrooms were flooded. The recently painted walls, chairs, tables, doors, and a large quantity of the teaching materials were destroyed by the water because the sisters had not had time to rescue them. For that reason, as soon as the water level began to recede, the sisters got busy cleaning and trying to fix 
um, the disaster. They worked with joy and generosity. They worked, their work was hard because as the water subsided, it left several layers, really actually feet, of mud. They were also worried about the many poor families in the area that had lost everything or almost everything as a result of the floods. In the face of an extreme situation, they reacted with total donation, contemplating the events in hindsight. It seemed as though the Lord was preparing them. The earthquake began shortly after they had come back from Mass at the village parish. It was already dark. Sister Claire and a group of young women who passed away. Now this report says they were on the first floor, but on the documentary it says they were, or excuse me, in the documentary it says they were on the second floor. They had a guitar class where Sister Claire was teaching uh, these five young women who were aspiring to become sisters, um, teaching them to do guitar. I mean, they looked at her and were like, this gimmick works for her. This guitar singing thing, it, it really gets to people. Music, as everybody knows, music does so many things and affects people on so many levels that the human word cannot reach, you know, or any kind of gesture can reach. So these young women wanted to be like Sister Claire and do just that. Okay, so they had just had guitar class and were beginning getting ready to uh, pray the rosary uh, with the rest of the sisters and girls. And there was a heavy earthquake that caused the building, uh, the school building that she was in, to collapse. With four sisters and seven girls inside, only five were rescued alive. Curiously enough, they had been talking about death during lunch that very day. Very convinced, Sister Claire had said, Why should I be afraid of death? If I'm going to go with the one I have longed to be with my whole life. Okay, and just a note. The other sisters that knew Sister Claire said that she was always telling them that she wasn't going to live long, that she was going to die at a, at a young age. Um, and, and again, it's it's something that, I mean, of course, of course we all have moments where we're with friends or family and we're talking about death and, and, and how we will react or how we think we will react at that moment, but isn't it something that on that very day at lunch um, before that night that she passed away, um, that, you know, she made the declaration that she did, that, you know, she wasn't afraid of death and that it was going to join her with what she wanted to be with. Um, again, whatever your faith, whatever your belief um, in a higher power or the universe, um, say it's the universe instead of putting the label God on it, you know, here she knew that she wanted to be, she was from the universe and she wanted to be with the universe. So, you know, here, if she passed, you know, hey, no big deal. You know, if anything, it's going to be great because I'm going to be joined with the universe that I came from. So the Servant Sisters wrote in this bio that they were surprised that the news of Sister Claire's death began to circulate on mass media worldwide. Uh, she said, we began to receive messages of prayers and support, but above all, testimonies of people who had been touched by Sister Claire's story. And those people who had shared their stories of how um, Sister Claire had helped them and been there for them, um, they returned to sacraments and to, to live their faith with great intensity. It's just, again, now all, and you'll see this in the document again, please, 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 if you're listening to this point, it shows that you are interested in, in that Sister Claire has struck a chord with you. So please, please take take some time. The The video is about an hour, 40 hour, 50 minutes, something like that. It's f absolutely free. 
It's on YouTube. I'll have a link to it. Um, please, please take some time, sit down, have a quiet moment, and and watch this and take this in. It she will touch you on so many levels. I mean, again, I can't state that enough. And I know I've said that with several people about several people that I've showcased in our show. And that's what the show is all about. I mean, how many of you, raise your hands, have ever heard of Sister Claire? I don't see any hands unless you clicked on this because you are familiar with Sister Claire and just didn't, you know, you're not a, a follower of the show and just caught it out of nowhere when it popped up on your feed. But most of us don't know. And uh, this is someone who needs to be known. This is someone we need to know about. It's, to me, uh, life wouldn't be, f- it, it would be incomplete if we didn't know about Sister Claire. I'm sorry, I don't mean to, to go that far down the line, but me personally, in my heart and mind, I would have felt like something was lacking if I didn't know about this being, about what she's done and what she continues to do today. Okay, so I'm, I'm sorry if this one goes a little long, but I, I think you all will agree that if you've made it to this point, it's worth it. It's worth it and important that we make sure that the story is as complete as we can possibly have it. I want to give you all as much information as possible. And again, if you check out the documentary, all the T's will be crossed and the I's will be dotted or as best as possible. So anyway, going back to um, her passing in the um, earthquake, uh, the building collapsed. There was a sister on the third floor uh, with some people and they miraculously were able to be found. They were under the rubble and immediately when this event happened, when the school collapsed. Now you got to remember, this is a, a major earthquake that happened. People from the community came running with hoes and, and, and shovels and picks and did everything they could. Now remember, they couldn't get machinery in there to, you know, like backhoes or things like that to get this heavy, con- this building was concrete. So they couldn't, they, they only could do this by hand uh, at first to get the this concrete off of these people and try to find any survivors. And they heard one of the sisters, again, this is in the documentary, they heard one of the sisters uh, calling out and they were able to rescue her and, and, and the girls that were with her. And it wasn't, though, until I think it was like a day later that they were able to get a backhoe in to start digging that they actually found uh, Sister Claire and, and the five girls or four girls that were with, were with her. Um, and they said, and, it, and bless her heart, she had the guitar neck or part of the guitar neck uh, in her hand when they found her. So, I mean, it goes to show, you know, she was doing her thing, and she was doing everything she could. And one of the sisters said that, and then this, this goes to relate to about being on the second floor instead of the first floor, the bio said, is that one sister said that she believed that, you know, when the earthquake had started, that Sister Claire grabbed the girls, you know, and didn't stop to let go of the guitar, made it, went to the hallway to try to go down the steps, and then that's when the collapse had happened. But, the, you know, they found their bodies, and Sister Claire's body was sent back home to uh, Derry, Ireland, to her parents, where she's buried today. And um, it's this grave is her grave is known for for miracles. See, so now we're getting into the saint part as far as the way Catholicism goes. So people are reporting miracles happening to them 
when they go to her grave. Now, what do I mean by that? If you say you go and you've got arthritis or something like that or a heart condition or you're blind or something and you go to her grave, um, some people are actually being healed or profess that they're being healed um, at the grave of Sister Claire. Now, again, take from this what you want or what you don't. I'm not forcing anyone nor would I ever force anyone to believe anything. I'm just giving you this information because if you are a believer in this, this is important information for you. Um, we recently had, this year was the fifth anniversary of the passing of St. Clair. Now, the way the Catholic Church is set up that you can't file, start filing paperwork for someone to be canonized or to become recognize someone as a saint until five years after they pass. Why? I don't know. I haven't got into that yet in my studies um, believe me I'm, I'm working on it because it's curious again I'm a nerd about this I, I'm curious so I want to know so eventually I'll find out and I'll, <laughs> I'll let you all know unless you want to beat me to the punch and, and google it and find out yourself but anyway you have to wait five years and so they've done that and the sisters of the church that are there in Ireland went to file the paperwork but the Vatican told them that the nomination or uh, referral has to come from her priest that was in charge of her with the servant sisters. So I haven't been able to find out if he has done this or not. Um, I would hope and pray that he has. I mean, as you'll see in the documentary, he was very involved with helping her and mentoring her. So I don't see why he wouldn't. Uh, but again, I can't speak on his behalf. Um, but again, I would hope and pray um, with all my heart and mind that he would do this for her. And of course, if I find out anything, I'll be sure to give an update uh, before one of the shows, definitely, and, and let you all know on that. But anyway, there is a bio book on Sister Claire that is only available through the sisterclaire.com uh, website. I do have big plans on getting that as soon as I have the funds available. Um, and I'll let you all know in updates before future shows on how that read and study is going because <laughs> I don't just read a book. I'll, I'll study it as well. It's, it's again, the nerd in me. It's something that I, I do. Uh, but anyway, I'll definitely keep you all updated on that and let you know how that goes. So I hope you all enjoyed the show on Sister Claire. I know it didn't have a happy ending uh, per se. It, I mean, to Sister Claire, it was a happy ending. So we have to look at that and respect that, that, you know, she's happy. And the outcome was the outcome she wanted. And she was definitely more than prepared for it. But we do mourn. Uh, that she's not with us anymore. And we do mourn the loss of the people that she helped. And how many, as my wife was saying when I was sharing with her, with her this story about Sister Claire, you know, my wife was like, you know, she, there was so much more she could have done. There was so many more people that needed her help. And I mean, I, I completely agree, but I also believe firmly that, you know, all things happen for reasons and not reasons that we can understand. Uh, but um, I also firmly believe that Sister Claire, as you'll see in the documentary with all the people giving their testimonies, Sister Claire planted so many seeds that are coming to fruition now. So she 
lives on in literally thousands and thousands of people. And you know that as they go, they will share the story of Sister Claire and what inspired them, which will inspire others. And she'll continue to, those, her seeds will be continued to be planted in every person that her story reaches. So if you've enjoyed Sister Claire's story, that seeds are planted in you. So please feel free to share. I encourage you and I ask you to please share Sister Claire's story, share her information, share the website, share the, the documentary with as many people as you want to or as many people as you know that would be open to it or as many people as you know that are in need of this kind of message. Please, please do that. I mean, I'm always talking at the end of the show about sharing the podcast or the show with other people. It's, you know, I don't advertise. I don't um, sponsor or anything like that. So word of mouth is the only way we can get the you know word out about the show. So again, if you really enjoyed this show or any of our shows, please share those the links to the show with your friends, family, anybody that you feel can benefit from it or anybody that's in need. And as always, I'm always open to ideas for the show. Um, St. Bernadette last week was my mother recommended that one. My son's recommending one. Uh, he's in the process of getting me the information to research on this gentleman so I can um, showcase him on the show. Please don't let it just be my family that's requesting, which is nothing against that. It's, it's great. I love, I love that they're, that they're listening and that they're interested and they want to contribute, but please feel free. You as well uh, are very important. You're part of this family as well. Uh, you're part of our tribe. So please, if there's someone that, you know, you think uh, that just really had an effect on you um, that you believe would help and encourage others, please let me know. Uh, and I'll be more than happy to do a show on that person or persons. There's two ways that you can do that. The first is you can email me at faithandmorepodcast.com. And of course, all these links will be in the show notes. It's faithandmorepodcast.com at gmail.com. I forgot the Gmail before. So again, faith and more podcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach me through the anchor app. Now there's a message button on the anchor app. You actually have to go to the anchor app or anchor website to do this or through the app to message me. It's not something that you can just do through Spotify or uh, Apple podcast. If you're listening through those formats and the address for that is anchor.fm slash faith dash and dash more. That's anchor.fm slash faith dash and dash more. I almost forgot the song of the week. What better song of the week than an entire album of 21 songs of Sister Claire singing and playing guitar uh, by herself and also along with some of her fellow sisters. I will have a link to that in the show notes and description. Thank you all so very much for tuning in and listening. I'm so looking forward to seeing you all again. But until then, lots of love and blessings to each of you.